true confession time. How many of you are willing to admit this morning that your life and your schedule are just a little bit too overloaded? Anybody? Yeah, many of us. And I'm not surprised by that, especially this time of year. I don't know if you've noticed this. You probably have. If you have kids or grandkids, May has become one of the busiest months of the year with the end of school with all the recitals and rehearsals and sports teams and banquets and we're just all running around it's like everybody's trying to pile everything into this last month before summer begins now for some of us the stress in our life is not coming from our overloaded schedules but from our external circumstances things that we're going through things that we're dealing with are stressing us out how many of you are going through something stressful right now you're in a stressful season and how many of you would say that you have experienced the physical symptoms of stress in the last month wow you know really that doesn't surprise me I I was reading this week uh, uh, some research from the American Institute of Stress Which, by the way, just the fact that there is such thing as an American Institute of Stress says something about this culture we live in. But anyway, according to their research, 44% of us feel more stressed out now than we did five years ago. Which makes sense, right, when you think about all that's happening in our country and our politics, how crazy life is getting. But what really surprised me when I was reading this research is that they discovered that nearly half of us are losing sleep regularly because of stress. And three out of four doctor's office visits are the direct result of stress-related ailments. See, stress is not just a reality of our modern life, but it is destroying our lives. And if we don't do something about it, it's going to be worse than just our phone batteries going dead. In 2011, at the Coca-Cola 600 NASCAR race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Driver Dale Earnhardt Jr. had been in a three-week, a three-year winless drought. He hadn't won in three years, and so there was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress to win. Late in this race, a wreck occurred and a caution flag went out. Junior and his crew chief decided to make a strategic decision. They chose not to come in for that pit stop. And it was a brilliant decision. Because they didn't come in for a pit stop, he was able to move into first place with four laps to go. The crowd got excited. Junior's finally going to win. This is awesome. Everything was great until the very last lap. Literally, as he rounded the final turn and could see the finish line in his windshield, he ran out of gas. And by the time he coasted across the finish line, he ended up in seventh place. I believe that is a cautionary tale 
for us because I believe many of us are making strategic decisions right now that will eventually prevent us from finishing life's race well. And so for the next three weeks, I would like for us just to engage in an honest conversation about our stress and our overload. For us to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with each other about the pace of our life, but more importantly, the reason behind that pace. What is it that makes us live life that way? Most of us would say that our stress and overload is a reaction, a response to our external circumstances. We are just trying to keep up with the demands, the expectations of our jobs, the the needs of our families. And I get that. Believe me, I get that. But I also believe that that's not really the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue with our stress and our overload is simply this, a lack of faith. We are stressed out and overloaded because deep down we don't truly trust God. We don't trust that He really knows our needs and will meet our needs. We don't trust that He really knows what our children need and so we schedule and get them in everything and everything we go through all of this because we don't trust in him one day jesus was talking to a group of stressed out overloaded people a huge crowd had gathered around him And these people were stressed out and overloaded, not just from the daily burdens of life, which, by the way, in the first century were a hundred times more difficult than anything any of us have ever experienced. And then on top of that, they were a part of a religious system that piled more and more burdens on them just to be right with God. And as if that weren't enough, they also had to deal with an oppressive, occupying Roman government who no matter how hard they worked, how much they made, how much they tried to take care of their family, they just kept getting taxed more and more and more. And Jesus looks into the eyes of these stressed out, overloaded people, and he doesn't tell them, look, just work harder. He doesn't tell them to to plan better. He doesn't talk to them about stress management. He doesn't talk to them about priorities. He says one thing to them in their stress and overload, and that is, trust me. We find these words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn or click there. If you don't, it's okay. You can follow along with your printed outline. But Jesus says to them, and I believe he says to every one of us today, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Can I just be honest with you? This morning, 
I read those words, I know those words, I hear those words, but quite frankly, when I look at the reality of my life right now, they're a thousand miles apart. There's a huge disconnect between what Jesus is saying and what I have been personally experiencing in my own life. I can't remember the time when I've felt rested. I can't remember a time in recent history when I haven't felt like I've carried an overwhelming burden. Look, I love these words. They're inspirational. They make for great posters to put up in my office. They make for a great Hallmark greeting card, but they just don't seem relevant to my reality, and I'm betting that's true for you as well. And so this week, I just simply sat down and asked God to speak to me through these words. And as I spent time in prayer and looking at these familiar words, I discovered something I never thought about before. And that is the fact that Jesus didn't speak these words to be inspirational. He didn't speak these words to motivate and fire up the crowd. He spoke these words to be very practical. Practical things that we can do to lighten the load. And so this morning, I want to take just a moment and share with you what Jesus has been teaching me through these wonderful words. Three things. Jesus says we have to do to, to lighten the load, to lighten up. One, to lighten up, I need to connect with him. I need to connect with Jesus. Jesus is telling us that the more real, the more intimate our relationship is with him, the more manageable my stress and my schedule will become. And he says it this way. Verse 28, he says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I, I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say, come to church. He doesn't say, come to a Bible study. He doesn't say, come and do more religious activities. He says, come to me. It, it's so interesting that this crowd that Jesus is talking to, Part of the reason that they were so stressed out is because of the burdens that have been laid on them by their religious leaders. The very things they were being told would bring them closer to God were weighing them down. See, when God rescued the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he took them out in the desert on the way to the promised land, he established some commands, some principles to live life. He said, I created you. This is how life works best. Follow these commands. 2,000 years later, when Jesus finally shows up, the religious leaders had taken these wonderful principles of life, and they had added to them. They would tell you that they were just simply clarifying what God had said. But the truth is, they were making more out of it. In fact, one of God's top ten commands, remember the Sabbath. In other words, take a day of rest. Take a 24-hour period of day and simply rest, not only because you need it physically, but as an expression of trust. To say that I truly believe God can more 
accomplish more when I am doing nothing than I will ever accomplish with all my effort, with all my scheduling. But by the time Jesus showed up, this simple idea of a day of rest, they had taken it and complicated it so that it became a burden. You couldn't take a day of rest worrying about what you could and couldn't do on that day of rest. And Jesus said, that's backwards. Man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given as a gift to man. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying you don't need more religion. You need a more authentic relationship with me. And notice the result. Second part of verse 29. He says when you do that, you will find rest for what? Rest for your souls. It's more than just physical rest. Lord knows we need that. It's more than just emotional rest. And many of us are desperate for that. But Jesus says, I want to give you rest in the center of who you are. Rest in your soul. Because what's going on out here is going to be a roller coaster of good and bad. You've got to learn to rest in here no matter what is going on around you. And the only way that happens is if you connect intimately with me. So the million dollar question is how? If it's not through more religious activity, what is it that connects me intimately, relationally with Jesus? What's the same things that connect you intimately with another person? How do you get more connected to your spouse, to your friends, to your children, to your parents? Three things I want to offer. Three things that connect us with Jesus. One, communication. Communication. You've probably heard this before. Great relationships are built on great communication. You want to connect more with Jesus, then you've got to be willing to share with Jesus your feelings, your thoughts, and the things you're going through. How do you do that? We have a word for communicating your thoughts and feelings and what you're going through to Jesus. What do we call that? Shout it out. Prayer, right? That's what prayer is. Giving God access to our heart and our needs, our joys and our pain. But communication is a two-way street, right? You will not get close to your spouse if you do all the talking and you never listen. You will not get any closer to your BFF if you're always talking about what's going on in your life and you never shut up long enough to listen and hear what they have to say. Same thing with Jesus. You want to connect, you got to communicate. And you want to communicate, you got to be willing to listen to what he has to say. Well, how do you listen to what Jesus has to say? His word, the Bible. And when I say Jesus' words, I'm not just talking about the red letters in the Gospels. I'm talking about every word on every page of the Bible. Because Jesus is the word. He doesn't simply speak the words. He is the word. And the more I engage with this, not in some intellectual exercise to study history and theology, but on a heart level, hear what Jesus is saying to me. Listen to his love. Listen to the principles. Listen to his wisdom. The more closely I connect with him. 
You connect with Jesus not only through communication, but you also got to spend time. You got to spend time, right? In a relationship in your life, you're only going to connect with that person to the level with which you are willing to block out some time to be with them, to physically be in each other's presence. Why? Because shared experiences bond people together. Going through stuff together, doing things together bonds people. It connects us. The problem is, how do you do that with Jesus? You know, it's not like the disciples or this crowd that's hearing him speak. They could spend time with him. We can't spend time with Jesus, right? Jesus is not physically present in this world anymore, is he? Does Jesus have a physical presence in the world today? Yes, absolutely. Anybody know what the physical presence of Jesus in the world today is? Anybody bold enough to shout it out? The church, it's us. Look around. Jesus is here, not just in his Holy Spirit, but he is physically present in the people around you, other believers you got to spend time. Now, here at Cedar Creek, we got a way to do that, don't we? We have a way for you to connect and share life and experiences with other believers. You guys get mad at me because I talk about it every Sunday, so I'm not going to say what it is, but I'm going to ask you, how do you connect with other believers at Cedar Creek Church? Through what? See, I didn't say it. You said it. So don't send me an email. Every time you do life with other believers... You draw closer to Jesus. And then the third thing you got to do to connect with Jesus, repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. We have this tendency to rush to Jesus, to pray, to study his word, to spend time with other believers when the wheels come off, right? When it all falls apart. Let me ask you this. If there was a person in your life and the only time they ever spent time, the only time they ever talked with you, the only time they ever came to you was when they were in crisis and needed something from you. Would you consider that person a close friend? No, probably not. You'd consider them an EGR, right? Somebody that's just needy. Listen, now let me be clear. You are never an EGR to Jesus. Anytime. Every time you cry out to him, every time you run to him, I don't care how long it's been since you last reached out. He is always there. He always hears. He always cares. I'm not saying you can't go to Jesus when you're in a crisis. I'm just saying, why do you keep waiting till you're in a crisis? You don't have to live that way. And what happens is the closer you get to Jesus, the more you learn to really trust him. And the more you learn to trust him, the less stressful and overloaded your life is going to be. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. doesn't stop there. The second thing that Jesus tells us we need to lighten up, and you're not going to like this, and I don't like this, but it's simply this. I need to give up control. I need to give up control because almost all of the stress in our lives comes from our desire to control things in our life that are way beyond control. I guarantee you, 
whatever's stressing you out, whatever is overloading your schedule right now, somewhere, somehow, in some way, you are trying to control something or someone that you cannot control. And it's stressing you out. You're trying to control your finances. You're trying to control your family. You're trying to control your spouse. You're trying to control everything in your life. And you're overloaded. The more you try to control everything, the more out of control everything in your life will become. Now some of you say, now wait a minute, Philip. Are you saying I'm a control freak? Because I'm not a control freak. I married one, but I'm not a control freak. I know you're not a control freak, but can I just tell you, we all got control issues. All of us have control issues. It's ingrained in our nature, our sin nature as human beings. Why did Adam and Eve eat the apple? Because they wanted to be in control. They wanted to be God. They did not trust that God was providing everything they need And so they went for it and said, I will get it for myself. And we have been eating the apple since then. It's not just in our nature, it is also ingrained in our culture. We're in a culture that's all about control. We define success in most cases as people who control the most things most of the time. This desire for control has even become a part of our language. It's worked its way into these little sayings that we use all the time. Finish these sentences. If it's meant to be, it's up to... I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. If it's meant to be, it's up to... You want something done right, do it. God helps those who help. By the way, God didn't say that. Ben Franklin said that. God never said said that but see what has happened is we have bought into satan's lie that the more control i can get the less stressful my life would be but jesus says the exact opposite and he uses a very interesting illustration to make this point look at verses 29 and 30 jesus says take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy to bear And the burden I give you is light. What's he talking about? What does that even mean? I mean, I hear the word yolk and I think that's the yellow part of the egg that's full of cholesterol and I'm not supposed to eat. What Jesus is talking about is a first century farm implement, a tool. A yoke is a single piece of wood that would allow two animals to be connected together so that they could pull together a load. A heavy burden. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, everybody immediately knows he's talking about two things. One, he's saying this yoke, this is a symbol of partnership. Two animals yoked together, work together to carry a single load. The cool thing about sharing a load with Jesus is that he doesn't bring any load to the table. When you yoke yourself to Jesus. It's not like he's saying, you help me with my load and I'll help you with your load. Jesus has no load. And so when we are yoked to him, all of his power is concentrated on our load, our burden. But there's a second thing that Jesus knew this yoke symbolized. 
And this is the tough pill to swallow. A yoke is a symbol of submission. To be yoked together means that you have to give up control of the speed and the direction of your life. To be yoked to Jesus means that he sets the direction and he sets the timetable. And we don't like that. So we yoke to him, but we keep trying to pull out. We keep trying to go our own way. We keep running after what we don't think he will or can provide. See, we look at this yoke and we say, I don't want any yoke. I don't want to be yoked to Jesus. I don't want to be yoked to anything. This looks like a burden. But let me tell you the truth. We are all yoked to something. There is something right now that is determining the speed and the direction of your life. Some of you are yoked to your job. Some of you are yoked to your children's schedule. Some of you are yoked to the expectations of others. Some of you are yoked to your fears. We've all yoked our lives to something. I'm just saying, why not yoke ourselves to the God who loves us, who died for us, who knows us and knows where we need to go, when we need to go. He knows what's around the corner. He sees what we cannot see. So can I just ask you simply, honestly, what are you yoked to? What are you yoked to today? See, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church about living by the Spirit. To live your life by the Spirit of God. And he says if you'll do that, there's fruit in your life. You know what he says the fruit of living by the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the very opposite of stress. But don't miss this. In order to have that fruit of the Spirit in your life, Look at what Paul says you have to do to get it. Galatians 5.25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us what? What does he say? Keep in step with the Spirit. See, if I'm honest, most of the stress in my life comes when I run ahead of Jesus. Some of the stress in my life comes when I lag behind Jesus, when I'm not willing to do the things that he is clearly telling me to do. The truth is, any control you think you have is an illusion. And we are killing ourselves for an illusion of control. And Jesus says, just take on my yoke. Connect with me. Give up control. And then finally, the third thing Jesus speaks to us in our stress is that we need to learn from him, to learn from Jesus. Jesus, you, you want some sanity back in your life? You want some balance in your life? There's no better person to teach you how to do that than Jesus. 
And when I say teach you, I'm not just talking about his words or his sermon. I'm talking about the example of his life on this earth because Jesus is a picture of peace under pressure. Think about the stress Jesus was under during that three and a half years of his public ministry. I mean, beyond just the fact that he was literally carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. But over and above that, he had thousands of people, huge crowds that always needed a piece of him. Everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody was pressing in. Everybody needed to be healed. Can you imagine that pressure? And then on top of that, you got the 12 disciples. He's got three and a half years to pour into them, to teach them everything they need to know to carry on the mission after he's returned to heaven. That's a pressured life. And yet you look at Jesus' life and never do you see him in a hurry. Never do you see him running. Never do you see him in panic. In fact, there's only one brief moment in Jesus' entire life on earth where you can see the stress affect him. You remember when that was? In the garden, right? Before taking on the cross, the stress, like sweat, blood, like sweat coming out of his face. That moment when his full humanity broke through. But other than that, there's no stress, sign of stress, in his life. What I'm saying is he's a great example. It's no surprise that Jesus would say, learn from me about dealing with your stress. What is surprising is what Jesus wants to teach us about our stress. Look at the last part of verse 29. Jesus says, let me teach you. Why? Because I am humble and gentle at heart. Can I just tell you, I read that this week and I'm like, that's nice, but that ain't what I need. I don't need humility and gentleness. Jesus, I need you to teach me about strength and stamina. Jesus, teach me about time management, goal setting. Teach me about priorities. Why would Jesus say learn humility and gentleness from me? Because humility and gentleness is the antidote to the two biggest causes of stress in our life. You know what causes stress in our life? Aggression and arrogance. You say, what are you talking about, Phil? We are aggressive in our scheduling and commitments. Our ego writes checks that our energy level can't cash. And we think we can have it all and do it all and accomplish all. And we run and we run and we come around that last turn and the tank is dry. But Jesus said, learn to be humble. Learn to be gentle, and your life will become more restful and peaceful. So here's what I want you to do. This is what I've been trying to work on all week. So misery loves company. I want you to have to work on this. First, I want you, here's your homework assignment. What's the major cause of stress in your life right now? What's the biggest cause of stress? If you're like me, you say, I got a hundred of them. It's coming from all directions. Work, family, I get that. But one of them is weighing heaviest on your heart right now. One of them is the one that keeps you from sleeping each night. What is that stress? You got it? You got it in your mind? Now here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to be intentional about finding ways to approach that issue with humility and gentleness. What would that look like if you approach that issue with humility and gentleness? For some of us, it would mean finally letting go. 
finally letting go and stop trying to arrogantly control what you never could control. For some of us, it's about being realistic about what we can and cannot do. To be realistic in our commitment to ruthlessly look at the schedule of our day and our week and decide, I cannot say yes to everything. For all of us, you know what humility and gentleness ultimately mean? Trusting God more than I trust myself. I want to close with this last verse on your outline, Psalm 62, 1. It says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Let's pray. Father, forgive me for all of the times in my life when I have looked for salvation in something other than you. Father, I confess before these people I know and love dearly that I have often sought salvation in my own abilities, my own wisdom, in my own experiences. I have sought salvation and peace and hope by trying to control rather than trust you. I've sought salvation by being unwilling to yoke myself and let you determine the pace and direction. So, Father, would you help me and help these people that I love so dearly take these beautiful words you spoke so long ago and put them into practice in the reality of our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.